Hello, and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. We've wrapped up Moon Knight, but there's so many questions we still have. And today we're talking about specifically the way this show portrayed mental health. We've had characters who've had PTSD, either diagnosed or undiagnosed before. But we've never had a character with uh, mental illness portrayed outside of that particular situation, and particularly where it is such a fundamental part of the character. And so we're going to be talking today about how mental health, and specifically Dissociative Identity Disorder, DID, is portrayed in the show of Moon Knight, and, and the role it plays in the story, and all sorts of questions about that. And we're doing it. We're bringing back uh, expert therapist Saren. She was on an episode uh, about talking about Encanto and how that portrayed mental illness. And so it's going to be a great conversation with her, Will, and Paul, and myself. All that and more after commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. Use they, them pronouns. I'll let uh, my guests introduce themselves because we, we come from a pretty wide degree of perspectives on the show, and I'm glad to have uh, all four of us together. Saren, go ahead. Introduce yourself. And uh... Yeah. Uh, so my name is Saren. I am a licensed master social worker practicing therapy um, in Athens, Georgia, and I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. I'm uh, Paul Hoppy, a.k.a. Zen Madman, and uh, not a co-host, totally not a co-host. Just on all the episodes lately. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, the Encanto episode that you two did more than the awesome. movie itself, Thanks. but, um, <laughs> but it did That's definitely fair. add some additional perspective while, while viewing it that I really enjoyed. Awesome. Thank you. Thank I hope you. we do the same thing uh, for Moon Knight and Mr. Freeland. Uh, my name is Will Freeland. I live and breathe Marvel Comics, uh, and so uh, I get to be an occasional guest host when the theme is Marvel. Um, I don't personally have any experience with DID outside of what I see in the pages of the comics, um, but there have been a handful of characters who have it, and so hopefully maybe I can add to the conversation. Awesome. So glad you're here. Uh, well, let's just start, Saren. Uh... <laughs> Everyone's heard myself, Paul, and Will talk about the show at quite a length. Let's bring you into that conversation. Just kind of uh, general thoughts on on the, sh on the show itself, and then we'll get into the mental health aspects of it. Yeah. Um, so I have to say that this sort of re revived my interest in the Marvel shows. Um, I, I, I liked WandaVision. Um, I liked... Uh, the other one that came out recently, but um, this Hawkeye. yes, thank you, Hawkeye. I couldn't couldn't get that. Um, but this I don't know. It just like uh, it was so good that it. Mm -hmm. I I thought that really how they handled the mental health in the show and particularly how they handled DID was really well done. I thought the story was compelling. I loved the music. Oscar Isaac was incredible. Um. I, I just thought it was great. And I'm going into the, I went into this completely cold. I had never heard of Moon Knight. Um, mm. I, I like Marvel, but I'm like an MCU only fan. So I, I understood what was going on. I, I don't know. I just thought it was really good. And I really, I, I don't know if they're going to make a second season. They seemed like they were hinting at it, but I hope they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly seems like there's going to be some more that character, the collection of characters, is going to continue in yeah. the MCU under whatever title it does. Well, and so let's kind of just get right into the heart of things. Uh, and we're going to get into the details, but just kind of on a broad level, 
what did you think about the way the show presented mental illness, uh, particularly disassociative identity disorder? Yeah, so I don't know. DID pops up in pop culture every so often. There was that show United States of Terra that tried to handle it. I don't know if that was ever on y'all's radar. Um, and then Split, it showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, all of which, like, tried really hard. And got close, but mm-hmm. to me, Moon Knight, I, I could just really tell that they had done their research with DID, mm-hmm. and the way they handled it, when when they were just talking about the mental illness aspect of it, and not taking, taking away the, like, superhero, less realistic parts, the way they handled it just felt very true to life, mm-hmm. and particularly the way that they wrapped it up in terms of like trying to work together, like having these altars work together and integrate. That is often the goal of DID treatment in real life. Mm. So I, I was very, very pleased and pleasantly surprised to see that that's how they handled it because that's how you would handle it. Right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, make, and we'll get to this in detail, but I think what you're saying kind of makes the scene of, you know, at first Mark thinking that his, like, peace is by getting rid of Stephen, but then realizing actually that he he, he needs Stephen as part of himself. Yeah. Uh, I think it carries a lot of weight. Um, I, I'm so glad you're on the show. Uh, there's been some great articles and, and tweets and posts and things like that by people both who are practitioners of mental health, uh, but also people with DID. And a, a couple of them, actually, I, I chatted with. They don't want their names read. Uh, but I just want to read a couple of things folks have said. Um, one was, I have never felt quite so seen by this show. It felt like what happens in my head was happening on screen. Um, and the other one was, I feel like after watching this show, when someone asks me what's happening and what's going on, I can just tell them to watch this show. Or I can say, have you seen this show? Because there's so much, uh, and this is just, now I'm ending the quote, but from talking back and forth with that person because it's something that's so misunderstood. You know, I think we still think of it often in terms of multiple personality disorder or the, the two shows you talked about, I think we're at least trying. I think we have a long history, especially in superhero things of villains that have multiple personality disorder and it's really badly done. So yeah, I'm just really glad that, that to hear from you, especially that Moonlight really was doing so well. That's awesome. <coughs> So what is disassociative identity disorder? Give us kind of the 101, uh, and then we'll start talking about how it applies to the show, but just in kind of general, in terms of like, that you'd word like alters and integrate and stuff like that. What, tell us the 101. Yeah, so a, a very, it's, a, it's an exceedingly complex disorder. So I will give a brief overview um, with the disclaimer that it is an overview. Um, it is part of a set of disorders that are dissociative disorders. Um, and this being a very extreme version of more common disorders, we hear about people with trauma or people with various other mental illnesses dissociating at times. Um, it's a common symptom of PTSD. This, this is like that, but much more. Um, Mm -hmm. we often see when we see DID, it is very often the result of very, very, very extreme trauma at a young age, 
which was something else that I really appreciated about the show. I was like, oh, you, the origin story here really works um, clinically. Um, and because it's such extreme trauma that happens at such a young age, it, it quite literally fractures your consciousness in a, in a way that is meant to be protective. It is your, it is your own mind putting this experience away and creating other things that aid in the protection of that. Um, and both in, I think, psych- psycho- psychological history and in popular culture, that's really seen as a problem. When I, the treatment now, at least as I understand it, is we're not looking to fuse all of these alters, and alters is the word for the, the multiple mm-hmm. um, personalities. We're not looking to fuse them. That, that's not really going to work and, and may make the trauma worse. Right. But looking to coexist with one another. And if one of the alters has problematic behavior, we'll work on that. But the goal isn't to eliminate them. The goal is to exist harmoniously. That's the overview. Yeah, and I'll jump in with questions, but also Will and Paul, if you have any, please please do so as well, or comments. I have a um, question that I'm not entirely sure is, um, for lack of a better phrase, like PC. But I zero frame of reference for um, patients with DID. But um, are there instances where um, the the alters do get a chance to like communicate back and forth to each yeah. other, or is really yeah that's wild. Okay. Um, so we how it's portrayed in Moon Knight does happen as far as like you kind of lose time that can happen. Mm. Um, but actually, more often. They they all have an awareness of each other. Okay. Um and mm, I'm even a, I'm not entirely up to date on the clinical language, but the the host person um mm. often maintains some awareness even if another alter is in the spotlight at that moment. Right. Um so it's not it's it's rarely a complete blackout. It does happen. Mhm. But the idea that, like, because in the show, you know, Mark seems to have some awareness of Stephen from the beginning, but Stephen has no idea that that Mark exists right. until that happens. And is that that that's at least that that's realistic, like that it can happen in that kind of a way? I suppose it could. Um, I'm hesitant to say no, mm-hmm. um, but I I would say that at least in my knowledge, it would be unusual for one to have an awareness and another not. Right. Um, but it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Right. Well, and on some level, I really appreciate how much the show was trying to say long before Conchu came along, you know, this person had DID. There is probably some extent to it. Like one thing we were talking about in the early episodes of the show is I don't know if he actually has disassociation or if this is like God possession gives you something that's equivalent to that. And so – you know, I, I hope they don't use this too often, but there's a little bit of an out there like, well, this is more because of conscious influence or, or something like that, especially since we, we we have no idea. But it might well be that Jake Lockley has come along since Conchu got involved. Right. Or Whereas like we did see that clearly Mark and Steven existed before Conchu was was in their life. Right. Right. And, and it so- sounds like uh, just for uh, Saren's nodding uh, emphatically <laughs> uh, <laughs> for the podcast. 
and it sounds like like I'm really interested in hearing what you say that like on some level it's considered um like a healthy not you know not that it's maybe the the best possible response but that it is a healthy response to trauma kind of like the body you know the way it will flinch in in case of danger and that if I'm watching you correctly like there's some understanding of like if the mind didn't disassociate like this the trauma to the mind and the, and the psyche might be even worse without having disassociated like that is that is that accurate yeah as I would say so um because the uh the image that I use a lot in with my clients and with my sessions is that like every person has sort of a threshold for what they can handle before they dissociate everyone has this um and that gets into a conversation about resilience and these sort of innate qualities that we may not have a ton of control over that exist in us so some people can handle what would be objectively a lot of trauma without dissociating some people don't have as high of a threshold for that but when that threshold is is surpassed right at the beginning it's like oh you might kind of hop out of your body for a second because it's Mm -hmm. too much to handle but then in situations like did it's like that threshold is not only surpassed but you push it and you push it and you push it and you push it to the to the point where it's like i don't know of any human who could handle that right um so it's it's almost a kindness Ooh. Mm-hmm. i'm so sorry that i'm in my basement and something just happened up above <laughs> me I, th- okay. I think everything's <laughs> fine um it's a kindness it's a gift in many ways that your consciousness has fractured itself in this capacity because it means that you don't have to necessarily remember why this happened. And at least the way I work, there's no reason to remember it. It, Why would you take the gift for what it is? So then is it not so much something that in terms of treatment, there's a lot of trying to work through whatever the trauma was and kind of confront that. And it's more just kind of trying to get, the alters to um i guess whether integrate or kind of coexist well together is is that it depends that's very client specific if they remember all of it or pieces of it yes we will absolutely process that in in ways that are necessary um but if they don't remember then just kind of leave it and i'm just there's no reason to dig that up that's a very uh old school philosophy right um the way that i look at it now is even if you don't remember it there's still ripples it's still affecting you right and what we're going to focus on is the ripples Mm, and and in the case of did the ripples are very obvious right you have did yeah those are the ripples (laughs) yeah so we're gonna focus on that and it's it's almost like symptom management of like we're just gonna get you to a place that feels good for all of you right right so because in the show it seems like you know from the egyptian god perspective you know uh, tawarit's perspective especially that it is essential that mark tell stephen what happened and that stephen understands where he came from um it sounds like that kind of goes against what often is the sort of therapeutic recommendation or do you do you think is there something like that we saw on the show that is that kind of breakthrough of Steven starting to understand a little bit of it, so he needs to see the whole thing. Like, kind of curious how you saw that, how that was portrayed. 
it that's a complicated question. There's so much nuance to it. I I can see where something like that would make sense therapeutically. Mm-hmm. Um and for some folks with DID or with, you know, various other mental illnesses, kind of knowing your origin story feels important to them. And if that's important to the client specifically, well, my first, the, I would, I would want to know why. Right. Um, and if we can process through that, then we can do something like, um, what's called EMDR, which is a trauma therapy, um, to maybe process through the events themselves and, um, make that part of your healing journey. Right. It's not, it, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a straight up, like, Ooh, no, from me, it was more of a, like, I could see how that would make sense in some situations, but it, it's not really the gold standard. Right. It seemed to me like Mark was very aware of like, almost like of creating Steven, <laughs> like not necessarily through like full conscious will, but like that like Mark knows what happened, right? Both in terms of what led to that. And also like he says to Steven, like, but that's like, that's the entire purpose for you. Like that's why, that's why you exist basically is kind of like, so he doesn't have to always be in that trauma. Right. And whereas Steven kind of wants to be like, well, I mean, maybe he just wants to know, cause it's like, what, what's going on. <laughs> right. Which right. I think is a very understandable human, just kind of like curiosity. Right. Um, but but then Stephen does kind of seem to try to like help Mark work through that, which, you know, it sounds like that can be an approach and it can also not be approach, right? And it kind of just depends on, on the people. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> the the fear of like what is going on is is that's that's a little bit more Hollywood than reality. Right. And that, like, when, when we're looking at clients specifically that have DID, they know something happened. Yeah, um, right. And they're usually aware that there's one or a few alters that are acting in this extremely protective capacity. And at least from my understanding, most folks are fine with just letting that be. And there's not so much fear around it. There's not so much confusion. There's not so much. It's not quite as angsty. Right. Makes sense. Well, since we're starting, uh, starting kind of, uh, either you have any other kind of more general DID questions or should we start talking about the show itself? We were already kind of bleeding into that. I was going to maybe share that I had a friend with DID who mm-hmm. and maybe just a little bit about that experience. Um, she definitely knew that there was a major trauma in her childhood. I she didn't talk too much about it. I like, I feel like I think I was friends with like two of her alters, but kind of not her, like, you know, whether you call it a dominant or host or whatever, like, um, you know, I mean, she was married and had kids and like, that was her, um, like most of her life. Right. Like I, my understanding was that most of the time that, that was, that was her, but then like, she had a screen, we met online as a whole, but like her screen name was like her name and then like at all like and others mm. basically which 
that's how I learned what et al was and also like a little bit about, you know, what was going on. But, um, you know, and then her, the two personalities, the two alters that I knew were like one, this very like, um, like very openly sexual, like aggressive kind of personality. And then this other, like very child, like kind of safe, like, you know, whatever you would think like, I mean, it sounded like it was some kind of childhood sexual abuse is kind of, you know, and she may have even said that specifically, but I definitely didn't want to like really push into that too much. But, um, and I remember her sending me this gift of this like wooden box with this like little, like kind of like baby in a fetal position almost that I think was, um, it was just very touching. And, and, um, I don't know, her, her experience left a, a big impression on me and, but she definitely, you know, she was like late thirties then I think, and had certainly had this awareness of what was going on. Right. And had, it sounded like actually had a really great support system. Um, and you know, her family knew what was going on and she had all of, you know, these alters anyway, as far as I know, um, were all like very kind of integrated cooperative and I can see how, how it could be this like constructive, protective, um, sort of mechanism of, of the mind, right. To, to, right. to do this and, and become this way. And it, you know, I can't speak to like any of the challenges that she went through in that regard, but it did definitely seem very sort of affirming to the fact like, yeah, you can, you can have a, you know, a normal in quotes kind of life. And even, even when, you know, it's something that you're dealing with and is not necessarily just like a condition you have, but like, to me, it felt like that was, that's who she was, you know, that's who she is. And like, and that's like a fundamental aspect, like, that's not, it, it didn't strike me as like something that you would want to like cure, right? You would want like, that's, that's her, that's the person. And, and you would want to make sure that, you know, everything is going to function in terms of life, right? But um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, having known her and then kind of watching this show, I, I, it made the sort of Stephen and Mark kind of coming together at the end feel, feel even more like personal, you know, and, and very powerful. I can definitely see that. I, I have also had uh, people in my life with DID and uh, I don't think my connection with them ever got quite as deep as what you're talking about, but definitely seen a lot of those same aspects. And one thing I'm also really struck by is the, like, as someone who, you know, I, I do not have DID. I have other mental issues. Um, it sounded weird. I have other mental health uh disorders and the like um and and one thing that in the mental health advocacy community i know we often that that the idea of like that it's not something that they need to be cured it's something where the symptoms need to be managed but for example like i know a lot of people who talk about like you know having depression like there are a lot of ways it feels like just being more aware of the suffering around you you know yeah. and that like that there's there's value to that and like um you know i don't i don't ever want it to be a, like someone's suffering is like worthwhile but like you magically cure depression, you lose an awful lot of the art in the world, um, you know, in terms of the inspiration of those kind of things. So uh, let's talk about the show itself. Um, uh, and there's specific things that I will definitely want to ask about and talk about. But it kind of overall, it sounds like uh, you think it did a very good job. What did it do well? Like what struck you in terms of like, wow, they really got this right. Are you asking me or are you asking the yeah. room? 
That's you. We've all yapped about it a lot. Cool. <laughs> so I think any question, I think maybe you go first. And then, yeah, then we'll yeah no, that's fair. I just wanted it. to check in. Um, I can't speak at all to like the comic book accuracy or any of any of that as far as what they did well or as what they did poorly. But um, even beyond the portrayal of DID itself, mm-hmm. um, I thought the way they handled mental illness in general was just really well done. And it had this theme to me of we're not um, necessary necessarily pathologizing mental illness but acknowledging sort of very close to what you were saying matthew uh, we're just acknowledging it as another way of being right and when you stop pathologizing and when you start just like accepting and feeling compassion for yourself and for others it really unlocks these new ways of moving around in the world and that's, I think, what compelled me so much about it. It just, the tone just felt different to me than how other Marvel um, things or just pop culture in general. It just, it felt better handled. Yeah. And it felt really, um, th- this is the movement in the mental health community as far as moving away from pathologizing mental illness. And I, I hate calling it mental illness even, but I don't have another, I don't really have a right. great word for it. Um, and it, it felt very tapped into that. Yeah. Like I mentioned before that PTSD, either diagnosed or, or on, has definitely been uh, brought up with other characters in the past. But you think of like Tony Stark or Jessica Jones, it is pathologized and primarily shown in terms of this is making them terrible people to everyone around them and so and to themselves and so they have to get fixed they have to get cured and like i i think it in, in some ways is a kind of accurate portrayal but it definitely felt very, i pathologized i think is the right word there and especially uh, like i was thinking a lot about iron man 3 is the one where i think we really see tony stark's yeah. um ptsd mm-hmm. show up and i have such a love hate relationship with that because what i thought it did so well was the portrayal of like what it's like to have a flashback and what it's like to have a panic attack and what it's like to freeze in moments where it is not okay to freeze. But there was no, it didn't, it never felt particularly hopeful to me. And that was the part that I, that I felt like they missed in Iron Man three. And then even throughout Tony Stark's arc in the MCU, it was like, I don't, it, it never felt, it I don't know. It just felt really bleak, like consistently, yeah. and that was something that I appreciated about Moon Knight is that it didn't feel that way. It- yeah, I think with the uh, extra flashiness of something like the MCU, um, if you don't keep, if you don't do this kind of portrayal with like Moon Knight and DID. Uh, uh, with wa- eyes wide open, it can easily slip into this like portrayal of like, oh, it's just kind of like a superpower, and having having you know more than one uh, aspect of myself with different strengths in one body is how I beat my villains. Um, right. 
with with like Stephen having you know um, all the knowledge of Egyptian um, hieroglyphics and all that other kind of stuff, and them working together. If you don't keep that, there's this uh, mental uh, mental health message and aspect um, front and center in your storytelling. It couldn't get lost to the flashiness of an MCU story or a superhero story. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And I was very struck by the moment where Mark says to Steven, you've always been my superpower. Because I think that could easily have been seen as kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. But but my take on it, and actually this this was a moment that was mentioned in a lot of the, the, the people who have uh, more direct experience of this than I do brought up, is that that the, my understanding is that that's the moment where Mark is kind of saying, like, you you protected me. Like, that's the most heroic thing, the most powerful thing that's ever happened is you, Stephen, being able to protect me from that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just loved that because that sounds like uh, Saren is very emphatically nodding now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that sounded very much like the – is that accurate, Saren, what you're talking about, about the, the personalities being able to recognize the value that they each hold? Yes, I – no criticisms that was such a beautiful moment to me and it was so layered and that like it could have been mishandled but yeah. like yes you are my superpower but it's for these reasons oh it's yeah. just give, it's giving me chills even talking about it right now it was so beautifully done yeah um yeah just loved it because I, I kind of think like without – because there is a moment where you do kind of get that, where you get, you know, him switching back and forth between Moon Knight and – is it Mr. Moon or Mr. Mr. Knight? Mr. Knight. Mr. Knight, thank you. Um, and like the two different suits, and it just looks awesome. And I love – and like, yeah, because like you said, the Flash is an MCU movie, but I feel like without that moment, that would have felt a lot worse. Yeah. Instead of feeling like incredibly empowering yeah. and awesome. And this was Absolutely. after they'd already done that. Right. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's that sequence is very important. Yeah. Very much so. And I guess you can get real into it because I we talked about briefly on one of our other episodes about how Tower 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 had uh two hearts for the, representing the two of them and then they didn't truly come together until they shared the one heart um at the end when they frozen themselves in sand and then and, and came together. Um, I, I, I think that was like you can write an entire article about how powerful just that was and like them accepting each other or, or Mark, you know, being like, Stephen, you are part of me. This we are one person and we get it. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, that whole representation, I think, was awesome. Do you feel like in the comics they achieve a similar level of nuance? Um, I mean, I know you don't have as much like background with you know DID before, but does it? Um, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that they, um, with with Mark Spector and his alters, uh, Jake Lockley and Stephen Grant, yeah, they um, they work in tandem. Um, effectively okay um they all have very different lives and um uh goals to and and how they approach situations and problems mm -hmm. um what you don't see is how they balance um in like a fight it's it okay. the, in in comics there's the superhero part and then there's the civilian part right and 
uh, when talking about Mark and uh, Stephen and Jake, it's very much the civilian part of the Moon Knight story. Right. And then once you start doing the fighting crime thing, it's very kind of one-dimensional. Right. And like Mr. Right. Knight isn't necessarily specifically explicitly Stephen in the comics. Right. right. Mr. Knight is portrayed as a fourth alter oh, okay. um, in, in the okay. comics. Um, and cutting that part out for the show, right. I think, totally works. Right. <laughs> right. Well, especially because, and Sarah, you can confirm this, my understanding is that, like, it's been about 50 years or so since this comic first got written, maybe more like 40 years, and that, I mean, not that I think Marvel in the 80s and 90s was doing the most to research their characters, but that even if they had, like, our understanding of, of, of DID you know the name change. Like, are, am I right that like even if you'd done the most research when you tried to create this character in the seventies or eighties, like you would not know what you did today? Is that is that accurate? I would say so. Um, the the clinical understanding of DID has evolved so much since mm -hmm. that time. Um, so yeah, even even what would have been the like the gold standard understanding of that time, we would we now know would just be pretty pretty far off right right and it may well be that you know 40 years people will look back and be like oh remember when people thought that was like an accurate way of <laughs> right. you know looking at i things? think about that all like, the time when i'm talking about like things like this right. of like mm -hmm. you know right now this is our best understanding yeah. but right but, yeah we may that may change in 20 years yeah. who knows yeah, and yeah. So always kind of approaching it with a certain level of humility <clears throat> and an understanding of what level of uncertainty we're always dealing with i think is right. definitely wise yeah yeah and when you see scenes like him like him seeing himself but the other personality in a mirror and stuff like that is that kind of i mean i think there's nothing wrong if that's more just a kind of you know tv making trick to help you understand what's going on like do, you, do patients sometimes talk about like kind of seeing the altar or is it more just like it's just the voices in his head not like that mm -hmm. all you know this is all with the disclaimer of like in my understanding of this um and definitely as a i am not a person that has did but there can be sort of a mental image mm -hmm. that exists um to varying degrees of clarity but as far as looking in the mirror and seeing some someone else right i've i've never heard of that happening oh. unless you also have some psychosis happening in which case that's a different thing right but it sounds like to you it, that didn't bother you that no, that was just no. kind of a that, that was a tv technique to help tell the story it's still a show you know it's still fiction um right. and i i i was fine with it yeah. I mean, I thought it was incredibly effective yeah. for, for telling the story and, again, yeah. Oscar Isaac's acting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I if think... you're watching a TV show about Egyptian gods possessing and choosing avatars and that's where you draw the line, it's kind of odd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a part that didn't make sense. <laughs> I do think it's the sort of thing where, you know, we're talking about what's going on in someone's mind, right? And being able to have some way of visualizing that I think is probably very useful to the audience at large. And like right. with filmmaking often, like there's just an attempt to try and make things more visual, even when it might be, you know, it's like, well, right. This could just be dialogue or it could just be a monologue, but it's like, you know, people need something to look at. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> otherwise just do like a radio broadcast. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
Well, and so we, we're starting to get into it, but Sarah, I'm very curious your thoughts on when episode five ended with Mark, had, with Stephen having fallen off the boat, and now suddenly the heart is full and balanced, and now this, you know, this idea that Mark can get to go to the, the their version of the Summerlands, the Field of Reeds. We, we went around and around and around about how much of that's actually in his head versus how much of the Egyptian stuff is, is real in that moment. And we're not going to draw you into that. That Again, check out the video of this if you're listening on uh, audio because Saren's faces alone make it totally worthwhile. Um, It'll be but, on Zen Madman on YouTube. Yeah. My, my interpretation of it was that it was supposed to kind of represent how a person can think that the goal is to get rid of the altars and that other people who aren't experts might be helping thinking that the goal should be to get rid of the ex the altars. But that what he actually finds is that he gets to the field of reeds and know that isn't what he wants. He wants to go back and get Steven and, and integrate. Is that, that how you read that, that collection of scenes in those two episodes? Ultimately. Yes. Um, I also went round and round by myself of like, mm -hmm. what did I just see? Um, so I had to sit on it for a while, but that, that is ultimately the conclusion that I came to, yes. Mm -hmm. From everything you've said, it certainly sounds like the scenes in which he develops DID, like the scene with his mother and, and how that, that break happens, uh, that felt fairly accurate to you. The well, question I had, I've definitely seen a couple of people raise this, is if the idea is that Stephen is the one who doesn't know what's happened, um, both with the I kind of see it as the, the double-edged sword of both the the trauma of his mother, but also the guilt that he carries, because on some level, you know, you're that young, you're going to believe it when someone's telling you, like, it's your fault. Um, and so, but if Stephen, the point of Stephen is to not know about all this, what we saw on screen is the mother being terrible, Stephen emerging, and then the mother coming in and starting to, uh, you know, abuse him physically. And so I think, do you think the implication there is that, like, Stephen has to go away during that? Or that, like, uh, even though Stephen experiences it, he doesn't, like, how 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 would that kind of a thing work? Because that, that the, the chronology there definitely felt confusing. I, I agree that I, I got a little bit in the weeds when I was trying to work through that myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think there's two... There's two kind of avenues that it took for me and that either what you're saying of like Stephen went away during those moments to in this sort of like in the vein of like Stephen's the one who doesn't have to experience this. Right. So Stephen's going to go away during that or. And this is this is kind of half baked, but it's about the best I've got of like maybe his what his mom was doing like didn't quite get to that threshold and therefore that threshold of like dissociation and therefore it like just wasn't mm -hmm. that bad. It, it, but I don't know. Like I'm, I'm yeah. not sold on that theory. Yeah. And it may have been just that, that one moment of writing, they wanted to have the dramatic tension, but right. it just, it just struck me as a little odd that like he switches into Steven and then the beating yeah, happens. It, it, was a choice that at least clinically I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like, I feel like it was like they had to show, they wanted to show the, the birth of Steven and what Mark was living through, but they didn't want to show a like aftermath of what 
his mother did. Like right. they don't they don't want to show like a a beaten child, and yeah. then show Stephen become. So I I think I feel like to avoid the most graphic of imagery, yeah, right. they had to do it that way. Maybe that makes sense. I forget that it's still Disney. Like we're right. still talking about Disney right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in some ways, I have to say, as someone who um, went through emotional abuse from my parents, but not never physical abuce. Um, I really appreciated them showing I, I think it's off of the sense of like okay well, emotional abuse is bad but like once violence gets in then it's 8 million times worse and I'm no way trying to say that physical violence from a parent isn't incredibly devastating but just the portrayal that it could have like that just the emotional violence yeah. uh, could have still done that to him I, I whether it is you know something intended or just because the how the story was framed I did really like that and appreciate that me too and I hope that people who watch it find that validating and that like emotional abuse is still abuse psychological abuse is still abuse and there's there's no grading system for that it's all bad um and it's all damaging and i i know at least that i have a lot of clients that pass through my office that when i ask them you know do you have a trauma history they'll be like yeah i mean my parents were so-and-so and they, they're really nonchalant about it and i'm like whoa 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 mm-hmm. that's significant um just because they didn't hit you doesn't mean that it wasn't bad mm-hmm. yeah i mean i know that that's practically become an internet meme of like how surprised a person is when a partner just gives them basic what we think of as the basic baseline <laughs> of a, a human relationship but because they haven't had that it can feel like oh my god this person's the greatest person ever I was going to say that I feel like that scene, first of all, I totally agree. All the emotional abuse is abuse. And obviously, um, I mean, we already kind of talked a little bit about how just showing that, right. And showing that to be a big right. deal and be really important um, was great. I do. I think if it actually was specifically emotional abuse, I kind of feel like the idea of him becoming Steven there was sort of, that he was Steven and he's like Steven and he's right. actively disassociating what's actually physically going on, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that's actually a realistic portrayal of what happens, right. but that, that was sort of my interpretation of it. Like, I understand how it kind of seems like, Oh, wouldn't the point of Steven be to like, then go into being Steven afterwards. Right. So Steven doesn't know that that happened, but like, to me, it felt like it was a way of disassociating you know, dissociating from what was actually going on when it was happening. Mm. Whereas like mm. Mark was like aware yeah. of it. So it was kind of like, well, let's, let's, but it, maybe that doesn't totally make sense. I don't know. That, that was just sort of, I feel like I mean, what they were going for. One thing that may, maybe you all have realized this already, and I'm just stating the obvious here, but something I just connected to, because it, it, part of this gets me thinking, like how much is he disassociating from, I don't want to think about the fact that I have an abusive parent and to some extent two abusive parents versus how much is he disassociating from I don't want to think about the fact that I killed my brother, mm. which clearly he didn't do. But and, and then I'm thinking like the person who he forms his new identity around what was the person who kept people safe in the in, right. in the wild, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and the more I think about that, the more I think that 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 kind of clues into it's just so he doesn't want to think about his mother, but also Stephen doesn't Stephen doesn't have the guilt, you know, right. to hear Mark talk about like, I'm a killer. This is what I am. Yeah. This is what I've always been. And yeah, so I think like that 
it feels like it's kind of both in that way that the choosing Steven as the new identity is, is very intentional to that. Yeah, that makes sense. I still think there's like a 1% chance that, that Jake just killed his brother, but you know, probably not. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm not saying there's a zero, what? like probably not. Right. Cause <laughs> once again, the, whole... the look on Saren's face, <laughs> I mean, that, that seems like that would be a really horrible tropey way of going about things. I like the head cannon that Jake came around in the mercenary days because he is a stone cold killer. Right. As a way of kind of dealing with that trauma, which is a very Mm -hmm. different trauma, but a very real trauma that, you know, I I mean, I've seen people come back from, you know, a tour in Iraq or being going back and just like, I mean, we didn't have extensive conversations, but it's like it was present, you know, that they were dealing with something that was extremely traumatic. Season two. Season two. Yeah, I think I think it's very fair. Well, I don't want to go on too long, but I want to. Um, there's the one other thing I want to ask about. Then is this uh, third personality of Jake emerging? And um, you know, we kind of see at the end that this this is kind of that like <coughs> the most ultra violentness uh, has probably been due to Jake. That at this point, neither Mark nor Stephen has any awareness of. Um, I can see that being kind of a fun storytelling trope, but does that also fit your understanding of like how these things can work? Again, I'm going to need you to use your words for our podcast. I'm listeners. so sorry. I I am thinking. Um, these are these are just my normal thinking faces. I I am That's a fair. garbage therapist in the terms of, in the sense of like I don't have a poker face. Like I am the most reactive person. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, well, they can trust you. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's a lot wrapped up in that question for me and that mm-hmm. storytelling wise, whichever headcanon we want to go with, with Jake, they're both pretty dark, <laughs> but, um, whichever direction we want to go with it, storytelling wise, it makes sense that this, this would be how the violent part is channeled. Clinically, the, where I'm getting stuck on it is that we don't often really see violence in clients who have DID more often we'll see self-harm and right. and a lot a lot of this this violence towards yourself but this outward violence it just doesn't really happen mm-hmm. so the reason I'm getting hung up on it is because like I I don't know if a person with DID had a violent streak I, right. I suppose it's possible that it could manifest in this capacity, but that just doesn't happen much. Yeah. So it, it's getting a little bit theoretical. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can see that. Well, it's... Yeah. You... I... Go ahead. Paul, go. It seems to me like Jake's violence isn't, like, serial killer violence, right? I mean, sure, literally, like, killing a lot of people in sequence, but, like, right. that it's mercenary violence and then avatar of conchu violence and like that it's it's directed in a really directed from external sources right in the way a soldier's violence might be as opposed to someone who you know like like dexter or something you know right and um and so it it seems to me like like i think it 
whether it makes sense clinically or not, like not the idea that Mark had these violent impulses and thus kind of created Jake to channel that, I mean, consciously or, or subconsciously or whatever, but more that Mark decided to, what, he joined the army, right? To yeah. kind of to, to leave home, right? As a, a means of just like getting away. And then, you know, was probably instructed to kill a bunch of people. And then that that was right. its own trauma. And that Jake right. was then a way of processing that trauma. Mm. Especially when he already has this trauma of, as a very young boy, thinking of himself as a kid. Right, having all that guilt. Yeah, I can see that. So in in real life, do we see um, people with, or patients with DID developing more alters down the line? Yeah. Um, okay. It can happen. Um, because unfortunately, trauma isn't like a one and done thing. Yeah. So, but it doesn't, a, a new alter doesn't necessarily have to emerge as the result of trauma. Um, mm -hmm. It can, but it doesn't have to. So, yeah, the <clears throat> the number of alters that a person has isn't fixed. Right. And what? Uh, Good. Just a clarification. Um, when you say that, you mean that trauma won't necessarily lead to an alter and or an alter won't necessarily be the result of trauma. Like a Both. further alter. Both, right. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think it's also important, and I really appreciate what you said about how, for the most part, like, DID does not necessarily let lead to violence by any means, because I think that's, if there's one thing I feel like Hollywood has gotten very wrong, and now they're starting to get better, but, you know, how often have we seen that trope of the person who wakes up surrounded in a pool of blood because they don't know that their alter is a serial killer? Right. I mean, that's a very common trope that I appreciate you saying is, is kind of ridiculous. I'll, I'll ask one last question and let, let the other two ask any, any more, any last comments. Because um, the one I've seen that I thought was really interesting, and I'm curious how it works clinically, if this is accurate is this idea that, like, trying to go to his mother's shiva, his, the funeral, was such a mental, you know, break for him that at that point the altar, Stephen, kind of takes over. And, and now, whereas before Mark was mostly living his life and then Stephen was maybe there for a couple of hours, now Stephen's in control enough that he could, you know, quite literally fly across the world, get a new apartment, get a new job, and, and mostly, except for some dining choices that are problematic and things like that, you know, uh, be Steven. Is that is that something that you do see sometimes where just an alter will just kind of like be like, I'm gonna drive the bus for the next couple of months or whatever? It can happen. Mm -hmm. Um it it especially makes sense to me through that lens of like there was a there was a moment of attending his mother Shiva that like things changed. Th that makes it make a lot of sense to me as far as mm -hmm. like why Steven would be in the driver's seat for that long. Right. Um, it would be unusual, I think, to see it happen for no reason. Mm -hmm. But because there was that, like, trigger point, it's like, okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. Cool. All right, well, I mean, sure, we could have 8 million other questions, but uh, Paul or Will, is there any other last things you want to ask or comments you want to make? I think we covered most of what I was interested in. You know, I, I feel like mm -hmm. got a, a much better perspective. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, again, like my frame of reference for DID is 
generally three characters from the Marvel comics. Um, and they all have the way their DID is represented and how it uh, happened and the triggering events and all that kind of stuff are all slightly different. Um, whereas like Mark, Jake, and Steven show up uh, from day one and he's only ever had the three altars. Uh, Bruce Banner develops the first Hulk altar uh, as a child and then more happen, more come along throughout his mm. uh adulthood and then you have david holler who is the son of xavier who uh, telepathically absorbed a consciousness and then that sparked um <laughs> the rest of his did and he has had hundreds of different personalities in his head um all with different mutant powers it's a whole thing but um so yeah i not knowing um how accurate or um how this actually plays out in real life or and how well it was represented here in the show uh has always been a giant mystery to me so this mm. has been uh great thank you for being here and sharing that with us thank you yeah, for definitely. having me it was so cool to be here well and Shannon, thank you you've really helped us i think you really helped the audience understand this a lot better and i'm just so glad you got to also enjoy it you know that that to me that's, that says so much about the you know what what it's what the show is doing um, is there any other last comments or points you wanted to bring up or have you kind of covered all? <clears throat> yeah, I think I've, I think I covered all of my thoughts and more of my like parting word or whatever is that I am just so stoked by what is happening in media and how it's handling mental health. Um, yeah. it's just so good and it's so just, Oh, it's so refreshing to me as a person who like has mental health struggles and as a person who I'm a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, it's nice to not have to sit in front of the TV and just like rub my temples and be like, Oh my God, like this is just yeah. so wrong. <laughs> um, and what's funny is like, I think in your profession, it's particularly bad when they do that. But everyone I know, like my parents were lawyers. They couldn't watch law and order. I'm a past <laughs> I, I, when I was a pastor, when I was in seminary to become a pastor, me and my friends would watch ER and we'd be like, That's the chaplain's job. Why are you talking about this? Get a chaplain. <laughs> so I think that's kind of a, a tremaine to pretty much every profession. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know Paul, I know I've watched some I uh, heard you talk about some poker movies. Uh, perhaps one with Mel Gibson it, that is not oh, the best. <laughs> that, that's not even the worst. It's just like every television show ever has a poker scene, and it's just like, what? What? That's not how anything works. <laughs> and like martial arts, and like basically anything I've ever done, you see it uh -huh. in a thing. Anything anyone has a level of expertise in, like when you see it in fiction, a lot of the time it's gonna be really cringe, you know. And yeah. then sometimes someone gets it right, and you're like, oh. This is so refreshing. <laughs> you know, right? this was done by someone who actually knows about this or like really put the effort into talking to people who have experience, right? Yeah. And it makes such no. a difference. I mean, having an actual expert who knows how to do these things help you with these things, it's so needed. Because I know for myself, I've been trying to like trim my nether regions from time to time. Oh, and... wow. Do they make experts for <laughs> this? Is how we're doing this? Do they, do they make... Do they have... <laughs> <laughs> Can you get someone to come and just, you know, probably. I mean, of course. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you, uh, I'm sure you can no? pay someone. Uh, but no, in actuality, my point is that like having people who are experts in the field, who know exactly what they're doing, 
design the products that Manscaped designs. Uh, if I don't win some kind of award for these transitions, by the way, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> Folks, you got to, like, throw me a little bit of business here. Just for these – I did get a post recently that said the best thing about our podcast has been these transitions. Oh, wow. So, take that I'm very not proudly. sure if that's a compliment or an insult to the rest of the content, but – I mean, all, <laughs> both are true. Both are true. But the, the point being, you know – we're talking about, you know, being proud of things that used to be shamed. We're burying the term metrosexual forever. We're just claiming, like, look, you want a rock full bush? Awesome. You want a manscape? Awesome. Whatever you want to do to take care of yourself. By the way, not just men. I'm not a man, but I have the parts that these tools are particularly made for. And so that's awesome. Um, also, I think we know what our TikTok video is going to be, just watching everyone's reactions to this. But the point is that they design these products. Um, each product individually is fantastic, but you can get a bunch of them in the performance bundle. Uh, it's a, I think you get like a savings of $100 if you get all five of these products together. Uh, you've heard um, Will, Paul, and myself have all used various versions of them uh, and been very pleased with them. And if you go to the website, manscaped.com, you'll get to uh, whatever you want to buy there if you use the discount code HEROETHICS, H-E-R-O-E-T-H-I-C-S, uh, you'll get a 20% discount. And, you know, it's worth it. It is worth it to you. Uh, it, I grew up learning that this, you know, grooming was not something I'm supposed to take seriously. And it, that was girly. That was something that, like, manly men didn't do. And, I, you know, I learned, actually, wait a minute, I feel a lot better about myself when I'm my, my beard is really nicely trimmed and when I'm wearing makeup or when I'm wearing an outfit that I really care about or maybe my sneakers aren't like stained and ruined and I'm, yet I'm still wearing them because I'm a guy. Who cares? And manscaping can be a part of that or peoplescaping, however you want to define it. So now having uh, allowed her to enough time to recover from her uh, outbreak of laughter, uh, Saren is someone who is the partner of people who may or may not manscape. Do you have opinions on this particular topic? <laughs> Um, blindsided. Oh no! I specifically <laughs> warned her. I asked her. Out of time, I would hope so. You but did I ask. Yeah. You did ask. Oh my god. Um, I. Wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my only my opinion part- is that, like, as a person who is like extremely demi, um, m- my greatest happiness comes when the person that I'm with is comfortable in their skin Mm -hmm. and pubes so if they feel good about it then i feel good about it what in some ways that's the best answer because i think one thing i really like that manscape does in the past this is always marketed as do it for her you know Mm. because by the way everyone will be heterosexual if you use this that's ridiculous everyone will be cis that's also ridiculous but the idea of like I like the idea that it's not the way they're marketing it. It's not do this for your partner. Like if your partner enjoys it and has some recommendations for you and that's something you're both comfortable talking about, go for it. But I just like that Manscaped is willing to, um, you know, talk about it from from their own perspective. All right. So (laughs) with that, I have now given my own promo. Uh, Paul, where are you doing stuff? Where's your expertise being shown? I was going to say Booster Gold says use code hero ethics. (laughs) Uh, yesterday we're yeah the dc yeah. hero most likely to recommend um yeah i'm Absolutely. i'm zen madman on twitch twitter youtube i think these podcast i think we're gonna start putting these on youtube and i'm gonna start mm-hmm. with like putting them on my zen madman channel i also have a zen madman poker channel um if 
you want to develop a better poker face. That's not at all what I talk about on the channel, but um, <laughs> it's mostly about online poker, but um, you know, various things. And uh, yeah, so, so yeah, we're going to, I think, start trying to put some of these on Zen Madman on YouTube. So you can, you can just search for that and subscribe. And if we get enough subscribers and watch hours, then maybe we'll, you know, put more and more and more up or something like that. Yeah. So. And, and I will say for this episode, especially um, the facial reactions <laughs> yes. alone are definitely, definitely worthwhile. Um, <laughs> uh, I may also be trying to uh, put some uh, like little clips of this, of these things on uh, TikTok. Uh, my TikTok is the ethical Panda and that's pretty much me everywhere. Uh, the ethical Panda. That's where you'll find my Twitter, my Facebook email, uh, all the ways if you want to contact me, give us feedback about the show. Would love to hear your thoughts, feedback. Do you learn something? Do you have a different perspective? Are you someone who is either a therapist or a patient in regards to DID? Any of your perspectives or thoughts, would love to hear. So that's uh, that's Paul. That's myself. Saren, for yourself, um, are you – I mean, if you're in Athens, Georgia and you need a therapist, uh, someone might want to contact you. But that's – you're welcome outside, to. Outside of that particular area, uh, are there places people can follow your writings and thoughts and stuff like that? Um – I don't exist a whole, whole bunch on the internet, but, um, uh, my therapy practice website is called getting real counseling center. And we try to put up blogs and we, our social media getting real counseling center has a ton of resources and a ton of information available. Um, so even if someone isn't necessarily seeking therapy with me or another therapist in our practice, um, okay. we, we try to put out a bunch of free content, uh, educational materials about, mental health and um awesome current struggles well and if i um i'll take this out if you don't if you're not comfortable with this but uh if you're up, if you're up for it one thing i would love to do is if we get listener questions uh, i'll maybe send them to you and you can just kind of give us written responses that we can read on air or show another time so absolutely awesome. yeah bring them on um, and then, Will, as I'm looking at you on screen, I am seeing an actual Lego Millennium Falcon. And it's gigantic. And I'm thinking to myself, it's I love looking boy. at it, but <laughs> I wish boy. I got a chance to watch someone put those, again, Saren's video face reactions here. <laughs> primo. But I wish I had the chance to watch someone put together a Lego gorgeousness like that. What? How, where could I go or what could I do if I wanted that kind of thing? Do you? Well, actually, what you could do is you could follow me on Twitch. I'm Silver Dreamer, Silver with a Y. Um, I uh, build Lego sets and model kits, uh, like um, like uh, little like Gundam or Transformer figures. Um, and I have good time during the week doing that. On Sundays, I have, because of my massive, massive... Marvel collection. I have <laughs> um, a lot of people ask me how many comics I have, and I never know the answer. And so I am spending my Sundays on Twitch cataloging my uh, comic book collection so I can answer that question. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Really enjoyable. I will also uh, just say about the, the podcast that Will hosts with his friend Steve, Hype is My Superpower. Yeah. Um, they get. Did I get the name right? Yeah. Hype is my yeah. superpower. You yeah, got it yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. Time, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he often comes on this podcast. The two of them, when we talk about it, it's Hype is my ethics. And I think I gave that as the name last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great podcast. If you're really into comics, they give great, great descriptions of it. And if you even if you don't like comics, or like myself, uh, they do a great job of filling you in enough on the story that you can follow what they're talking about, which is, I think, just such a needed thing for, for mediums like that, where a lot of people might love the story but not love the medium of the storytelling. So to all of you, thank you so much. To all of our fans, thank you all so much. Uh, please let us know what you think. Please give us some feedback. And most importantly, have a great day. Bye.
Bye.